When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello, you are listening to a brand new episode of Whispers in the Wings. And today I am joined by freelance stage manager and production coordinator, Daniel Story. Now, before I bring Daniel in, let's find out a little bit more about him. Daniel Story is a Sydney-based theatre practitioner who specialises in technical design and stage management. He graduated from the University of Tasmania in 2020 with a Bachelor of Contemporary Arts and is now studying a Bachelor of Fine Arts, focusing on technical theatre and stage management at the National Institute of Dramatic Art. Daniel has experienced a multitude of roles in his creative practice, including directing, acting, devising, designing, and stage managing. Daniel's previous stage management credits include stage managing the world premiere seasons of Thor for Legs on the Wall and Caravan Boat Treehouse for Mudlark Theatre Company. He has assisted stage manager for the epic eight-hour duration work 888 Work 2022, produced by Unfunded Empathy for the Rising Festival in Melbourne. Also last year, Daniel was employed as the technical swing covering the assistant stage manager and microphone technical plot for once at Darlinghurst Theatre Company. Daniel specialises in experimental theatre, physical theatre and durational performance in local and global contexts. Hi, Daniel Story. Welcome to Whispers in the Wings. Hi, Josh. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for joining me. Now, we had an opportunity working together last year at once for Darlinghurst Theatre Company, which is where I got to know more about you and more about your sort of incredible work within that sort of immersive world of theatre and events. What interested you in getting into theatre and especially into that sort of immersive world? Yeah, so I currently live in Sydney. I am Tasmanian, born and raised. And down there, there's a lot of festival culture, uh, particularly around Mona, that establishment as a contemporary art institution. And their two festivals, their summer festival, Mona Foma, and their winter festival, Dark Mofo. And so as I was going through high school, I knew that I wanted to find my way into theatre. I want to be in this industry, but what exactly it is, I'm not too sure. And so through years 11 and 12, I continued to study it and... I knew that I wanted to keep going down the pathway. And so I started studying at the University of Tasmania, where we learned a bit of everything. We learned the onstage stuff with acting, voice and body, how do we control ourselves as performers, but then also the backstage side. So we did directing, writing, technical theatre, stage management, literally everything. We covered everything. We did everything. We wore all the hats. But it was in it was during my time at UTAS, the University of Tasmania, that I was introduced to the land of Mona (laughs) and I got 
roped into this wormhole of weird art, weird art that's just outside of the box. And it was interesting, definitely to begin with. And I started out on the performance side of it, particularly in the summer festival, Mona Foma, where every year we would have a party called FOMO. And within this party, there would be pop-up performances. It would be a very immersive experience. And the last one I did was called Working 9 to 5. So it was a 9 p.m. to a 5 a.m. party with performances happening all throughout this workers' club around eight ball tables in a car park, like a fire escape on the outside of a building. Like it's just really pushing the boundaries and redefining what performance is because I think so many times we think about performance and theatre as something that has to exist within a traditional theatrical space, whether that's a proscenium March theatre, whether it's a black box. But if you take away that traditional structure of what we think is theatre, we can actually discover a whole new range of experiences to create for an audience. And so after that interaction with Mona, which spanned about three years, I would say, before COVID really kicked in, after that I moved up to Sydney and I've continued this journey with experimental and immersive performance. I've been working a lot with Legs on the Wall, Plus, last year, I did an independent production for the Rising Festival, which was another eight-hour show, which we were in a place called Schoolhouse Studios in Coburg, just north of Melbourne. And it was this old Coles supermarket, which had been completely gutted and turned into art studios. And we had this big open space. And so we created it into an office environment. So for the first half of the performance, the audience are there on wheelie chairs experiencing life within an office. And then we break down that structure and figure out the journey of what happens if the workday turns a little bit on its head. And so just this whole concept of just being able to tell a story outside of the constructs of what we think of as traditional theatre, it's really opened up the breadth of work for me and I think it's really exciting. Something I need to to look at more with theatre, because obviously I am very much focused on musical theatre, is what what theatre exists outside of the, the well, quote-unquote normal, I hate using that, but, you know, what's outside of that traditional traditional space. And it's really fascinating to, to know that, you know, a lot of that, and from what I understand, is happening in those places where traditional theatre don't really exist. Like you said, Tasmania, like there's not really a traditional theatre space there like all the theatres that I know of in Tassie are quite small so you do have to sort of think outside the box and I guess there's a lot of like logistical things that come with all of that you know especially working in the weather and what sort of valuable skills do you need to make that experimental or durational production sort of work especially if you are you know spending all that time prepping and planning for something that is going to run for eight hours which obviously also heavily involves an audience. Absolutely. So in terms of a durational performance, the best way to prepare, I think, isn't exactly rehearsing the show. It's mentally preparing yourself for the performance day or if you're doing it multiple times, uh, preparing yourself to sustain that performance across a season. When I was working with Legs on the Wall, I worked on a production of Thor last year, which Thor as in melting, not the Marvel superhero Thor. And it was a block of ice that we had suspended over Sydney Harbour outside the Opera House from a crane. And we had a performer on it at all times. Yeah. And 
that was my first experience with working as a stage manager in durational performance. It was quite a learning experience for me because it really pushed my idea of what does a stage manager do? Because yes, we run rehearsals, we look after the performance, we look after the safety of the performers and the crew around us and make sure that everything's running to schedule. But at the end of the day, we never rehearse that show once until we put it on for the first day in front of an audience. Mm. And that's something that I've noticed has carried throughout with other durational works that I've done. You get the base structure of what the performance is and you have it written out in say a Word document or a Google doc. And you have dot points that you know you need to hit, mm-hmm. but being able to remain flexible within the performance because you don't have a script. If you do have a script, it could be like a three-page document for an eight-hour show. And you just know that these are the points you have to hit, but it's really listening to the performance and listening to the performers to figure out, okay, where's this journey going to go now? Because they're also in it for the long run as well. If they're part of the show for eight hours, they need to figure out, okay, how can I carry myself through? And so I think that that's been the biggest learning experience for me of how durational theatre or even experimental art, like how that differs from traditional theatre, because you just really have to massage it and work on the fly. And I guess it's one of those things that we're no to performances of that durational theatre would be the same because, you know, as you said, that office building sort of structure, like that would have, I mean, and this is just what I'm assuming, we can talk about it more obviously, but that would have heavily involved the audience because they are sitting within that space that that you are, you know, you've constructed and deconstructing. So does it sort of become a little bit more of a, like an improvised performance? Obviously you've got the points that you need to hit, but the rest of it is is sort of up to the mood and the atmosphere of everyone that is there. Absolutely. I think that can count towards most performances though as we know that when an audience comes into a room that completely changes the energy of a performance like the performers know what they have to get through but you are responding and I think what differs when you're doing a durational performance is that because the audience is with you for a longer journey the performers have to really listen and respond to the audience to understand okay I'm losing them a little bit here how do I get them on track Uh, because the office show that we did last year that was from 9am to 5pm. So if we lost the audience at 12pm or 1pm when we're going to lunch, what happens if they don't come back <laughs> after the show? <laughs> we provided <laughs> lunch and we were like, let's see if everyone has a nap after lunch. But everybody came back and it was that thing of as a, as a creative team, because we believe that stage management is part of the creative team, how do we work with the performers and how as a whole team and a whole show do we listen to the audience and make sure that they are with us on the journey. And I guess a lot of audience members aren't used to something like that, like something that is, you know, a full work day's experience. It's such a unique uh, idea. Do you know if that has been done sort of anywhere else around the world or is that something that was sort of done for the first time here? I guess probably in Australia it was the first time. I'm not exactly sure if I'm honest with you. With durational performance, I never came across it until I was invited to work on a durational performance. I was, <laughs> And then that was the little key in the door and I unlocked a whole new world for me. But prior to that, I'd heard of shows that were, say, five hours long, which might have mm-hmm. been an opera, but actually a creating experience, which we still label as theatre, 
I'd never mm. come across that before. I'd never heard of it. And I think it is a little bit of a niche that people haven't responded to yet. And I think that that's something that was so exciting with this show at the Rising Festival was because audiences hadn't really been exposed to that kind of thing before. Yeah. And I remember very clearly, we only did one performance of that show, but we got a review in the age and we only got a two-star review because of how long the show was. But everyone everyone coming to that show knew it was an eight-hour yeah. show. You're there from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Yeah, and I guess I guess those people that are reviewing are probably more traditional theatre goers. So then they're not really there for that experimental, you know, eight-hour experience. Mm. As you talked about, you know, like stage managers are part of that creative team. And I think that within traditional theatre and experimental theatre, all those sort of theatre, people need to accept that a little bit more. Because there is so many decisions that need to be made. And yeah, you know, our decisions are different to, you know, how a lighting designer might think or a sound designer might think, but it's all still a part of that creative process. For one of those like durational performances, how does that communication and collaboration with those other members of the creative team play a part? As you said, you hit those base marks of this needs to be done at these specific times. If it's an eight hour show, are you spending like more time planning with those other creatives or is it sort of like, mixing a show on the fly as you sort of go? I would say it's probably very 50-50. With shows, we know the structure. So instead of doing a script, what we do is usually what we call a score. And those the score is where we have the breakdown of each section and what those targets are for each section. And they will usually have a time associated with them. So we could be, say from zero minutes to 30 minutes. This is what needs to happen within that section. But then obviously there can be a little bit of difficulty with managing time once the performers are on stage if you don't have a way to communicate with them. Mm. So figuring out how to build that into the world so they can keep track of their time. And luckily with 888, which was the show within the office, they could have papers, they could have their scores on their desk and nobody knew any wiser. We had computers, uh, we had set dressing, which kind of built within the world. And so we knew that there was flexibility within it, but the performers knew kind of how to keep themselves on track. And an easy way for us to keep on track was when we hit that lunch break at one o'clock, I think it was, we just cut the lights, the sound, everything, and, like, the work light came on and it signified the start of lunch, which snapped us out of this world. Wow, that would have been really abrupt. Yeah. (laughs) But (laughs) no matter where we were in that piece, we knew that we could get it back on track at that lunch break. And so we Mm -hmm. took that lunch break with the audience and then for the second act, I guess we'd call it after lunch, we were back into that world and we had an alarm set for 4.20 p.m. Mm-hmm. because that's when a pallet of beer was being brought out into the space and it was knockoff drinks for the day until 5 o'clock. And so we knew that the performers could just follow their score and do their own track. Mm-hmm. But at 4.20, that alarm's going to go off. So no matter what happens, we're going to get ourselves back on track as well. Mm-hmm. And so I think that even though you do so much planning, there is obviously going to be shifts but then it's figuring out okay how can we bring it back on track and so for example with legs on the wall I was working with the QLab fire with all of the sound and there was a very set composition which surrounded the work where the performers could improvise 
But then there was also moments of flexibility where I could cut it shorter or make it longer. If, for example, we went up late on the day or when we brought the ice down between performers, if, for example, the changeover took a little bit longer because we we're doing our safety inspections, there was flexibility within that to expand it or make it less. So then we'd still hit the finale right on 8.30 every night, I think it was, 8.30 sure. because we had fireworks. Yeah, it's just about maintaining that flexibility. But yeah. at the same time, you still have all that planning in place. And I guess to answer, you were talking about the creative team as well, working within the creative team. It's just a constant thing of communication, where usually from my experience with these works, the director is on board with us during the performance day as well. And we'll be working very much hand in hand as a team of, okay, the stage manager's providing the logistics, the director's delivering notes about the performance. But then it's a real collaboration of, okay, we need to get to this bit. What can we do together? And so it's really two heads uniting as one, which Mm. kind of drives the performance as a whole. Mm. I think it's really fascinating. And I think more people should look into this experimental durational theatre. For Thor... I didn't actually get to, to see it, but I did see obviously some photos and content that you had put up. What are the sort of like logistical nightmares, I'm going to say, <laughs> around that? Because obviously you're performing outdoors in the sun on an ice cube around General Public over Sydney Harbour. Like I look at that <laughs> and I'm just like, oh, there's just so many things that you have to consider, uh, especially around like the safety of it. There's definitely different tiers to that. So Number one, first and foremost, was always the safety of the performer suspended on the crane on the block of ice. Uh, So just as a stage manager, really having a strong understanding of what that performer needs and what are the rules around what they can and can't do. Mm -hmm. And so I had direct communication with the performer. Um, They had an in-ear piece and I could talk to them throughout the entire performance, which was a thing about maintaining the structure of the work but also safety things so because they had a piece of rope connecting them as a safety line to the crane if they wrapped themselves around the main lines which was holding up the ice that was a safety risk because of abrasion against the ropes Mm -hmm. so then it was constantly watching that and saying hey can you head back to neutral position which then they'd look at the ropes and think okay i'm tangled and they untangle themselves Mm -hmm. And so a lot of the logistics around that was the safety of the performers. But then also surprisingly, as stage manager, (laughs) a big part of my job was being the weatherman, which I'm like, I understand the weather, but then also having that amount of understanding about the weather, it was quite a learning experience because if it was raining, we would keep going. But if there was a storm coming, we'd have to stop because of there's a risk of a lightning strike hitting the crane. Mm. With the wind, if we got three gusts over a certain speed, that was a show stop. If we got one gust over a certain speed, which was higher, but like ran for at least, say, 10 seconds, that was mm-hmm. a show stop. Wow. So the thing with that is on the ground, a gust of wind feels different, very different to a gust of wind 30 metres in the air. <laughs> yeah. So then just being able to monitor that. And it was really logistically challenging figuring mm. it out, how to maintain the weather, how to maintain the safety of the performers. And 
whilst we understood the audience's proximity and their relation to the work, we really just kind of stayed within our own bubble. We let, because it was outside the opera house, the opera house would deal with the audience and kind of manage them because of if we took that on as part of our performance element, it would just be overloading ourselves with work. So I think that's something important as well, having that communication of who's responsible for what. So many things could go wrong and there's so many layers to the performance and to the art of it. You do very much need to focus on exactly just that one thing and let everyone else. I guess it's no different to, you know, traditional theatre. Yeah, handing over to the front of house manager. Yeah, leave the front of house to to deal with it. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lol. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And, and you know, do their thing. I think it's absolutely fascinating the work that you do and the amount of, I don't know, I guess brain power you need to have on a day-to-day basis. Like what sort of tricks do you do to make sure that you are staying mentally active and alert during these long performances? A thing that I found really helpful, and I've even extended this outside of my practice with uh, experimental and durational theatre, no matter what show I'm working on, is figuring out a way that you can de-roll at the end of each day, making sure that you can do something which signifies, okay, this is the end of the workday, this is me stepping away. And especially with the durational work that I've done, if we're in rehearsals all day and I know that that's kind of the same amount of time that I'm going to be doing for the actual performance day, Mm -hmm. how do I switch off at the end of the day so then immediately 
I know that I can prepare for the next day without having to think about it. So I do things such as as soon as I step out of that room, listening to music, what's a song that I have that signals the end of the day for me, Uh, coming home and just finding some sort of pattern that I can sit within, which I know will just take my mind off work. And leading up to the performance day, doing as much preparation as you can during the rehearsal room or the development room. And particularly when you are getting towards performance day, the day before you want to try and preset as much as possible Mm -hmm. because on performance day, you want to come in, you want to check in with the cast, you want to just do your final touches of your preset. But then after that, you want to be in performance mode. And I think that's something that makes it easier in terms of engaging with a durational performance and sustaining that performance throughout as a stage manager is knowing that you're not alone. You're within a whole team who's also on this journey with you. You have the performer or performers who are giving it their all across this time. You have a team around you. You have lighting, sound, potentially video. The production manager's usually there. The director's usually there. You're all there together. And so just sharing that experience is something that kind of reminds me to be present within the moment and instead Mm -hmm. of thinking, okay, this is what's happening in the second half of the show, really, I found that you just need to focus on what's happening right now. Yeah, I think as a, like, for performers, D-rolling is so important and valuable. Like, you know, especially if you're doing a show that's quite heavy and could be dealing with some quite dark topics. It is the same for for us and for, you know, any sort of creative that is involved on a show full time. It is important for you to be able to take off, you know, the stage manager hat at the end of the day and find those things that you do that sort of, you know, go, okay, work is done. And it's, it's the same for, you know, if you're working an office job, you go home and you do something that just goes, work is done. I don't need to think about work until tomorrow. It's something that I myself need to get better at, especially one of the shows that I did uh, this year, Darkness, was quite a dark show. The topics that were discussed in it were quite heavy. And I was just a little bit too exhausted, really, at the end of the day to, to de-roll. So I didn't really need to do that. But looking back on it, I'm like, I definitely should have been finding those things rather than just going home, going to bed, finding those things that, you know, I could just move away from the show just for that minute. There was a lot sort of happening on it. But I think it, yeah, I think it's really important to find those tools and tricks that you can can just help you process if it's a busy day. But also talking about being like present and there in the moment, obviously for the, that sort of durational theatre that, you know, you're spending eight hours working on, yes, you need to be going, okay, well, where do we need to be in like, you know, that 10-minute mark, 20-minute mark? But you still need to stay present because so much is happening within that moment that you need to make sure that, you know, you're there and not thinking about what you're doing at the end of the day. <laughs> Absolutely. And it's just about being in that moment everyone supporting one another, that, yeah, you do want to be mentally and physically present in that moment. Last year, I was doing a production of Mackinac, which is a classic American play by Sophie Treadwell. And usually the lead role is performed by a white woman. Mm -hmm. And that show looks at the abuse of the patriarchy towards women and this manipulation of power. And then eventually at the end of the show, there is a moment where the lead character whose journey we're following is executed by an electric chair. But the version that I was working on last year was uh, a little bit different because we 
casted a person of color as the leading character as the woman right and so that added a whole nother level of meaning mm. to not only the oppression of the patriarchy on women but also this thing about race and racial oppression mm -hmm. and myself identifying as a white man i actually found it really challenging to sit within the rehearsal room each day and watching this person of color put themselves through this journey and i could mm -hmm. see that the toll it was taking on her as well mm -hmm. but luckily we had a really good support network and i think that i know i've spoken about de-rolling outside of the room and once you're finished for the day but if you need to do something to de-roll within the room and to check mm -hmm. in at the end of the day that's also okay because within that company every single person who was in that rehearsal room for the day would come together at the end and we would just share a moment in a circle and we would do this activity i guess you'd call it to de-roll <laughs> which is we would put palms together and start rubbing to create fiction between our own hands Mm. and feeling the warmth and just looking around the circle generating energy and then at the same time we feel an instinct and we'd all clap and as soon as we clapped we knew that was work done our characters are gone our roles are gone we're just human beings back in the world and so if it is a show that's challenging where you are watching other people put themselves through things and it doesn't necessarily impact you in the sense mm. of the show but impacts you on a personal level then it's okay to do that within the room as well with others. Yeah. And I think, you know, as a stage manager, that's very much things that you can implement into any rehearsal room. Like it doesn't need to be a show that is focusing on those sorts of dark, heavier topics. So, mm. you know, that make people really think it could even be just, you know, your normal end of day routine where you just go, this is what we've done today. Let's just take a moment to just connect with each other again. Yeah. I think we should be looking at doing that in, in any capacity not just when there are difficult topics to, to go through. Absolutely. And it breaks down the structures at the end of the day in the rehearsal room yeah. as well, because I think sometimes we think of there's a hierarchy within a room of, okay, there's the performers and then there's the creative team. And mm. even though we're all working towards one show, there is people who have more power. And obviously the director oversees that whole process. We're coming together at the end. It's like, okay, no, we are just this one group working on this together. And at the end of the day, we're human beings and that role doesn't exist outside of this mm. room. Mm. I guess you would remember from once and we're still doing it and they will do it every time the show, they do the show. They, you know, they go through, the cast go through and do North Strand and then they do Gold Acapella. Mm -hmm. And then we sort of stand in a circle after Gold Acapella and someone will say something about the day or about the show or to celebrate what's happening. And then everyone puts a hand in the middle and goes, Kate Miller Heike, which yeah. is, is something, it's a traditional thing for them. I can't remember the reasoning behind it, but it's that thing we all, we all do, you know, the stage management team, sound team join in with the cast because it's sort of like that moment of going, okay, well, we're connecting all together right now in this moment to, to do the show and to tell the story. And story is not a dark, heavy, heavy topic, but it just, it, it reminds you that, Yes, there is those sort of, you know, hats that people wear, cast, crew, creatives, like all of that. But at the end of the day, we're all there doing the one the one thing and the one show, telling whatever the story is for an audience. So just taking that moment to just connect together is, I think, really valuable. And I think we need to be doing it more. Yeah, definitely. So I guess there's going to be a lot of listeners uh, to this podcast that, you know, 
just like yourself, hadn't really heard of experimental theatre and, and, you know, those um, durational theatre. What advice would you have for people that want to look at getting into that? Like, how do you get started in that? I think the best way to crack into it is by first observing something, going and Mm -hmm. watching something. And I guess when I made the move to Sydney and I started doing some productions here, I did have that experience from Tassie where I was exposed to it first. But I think where you're most likely to see these sort of performances pop up is during festivals. Mm. So if you look at Tassie, Dark Mofa, Monophoma, if you look at Melbourne, there's Rising. And then obviously there's a vast array of other arts festivals around Australia, but really looking for the experimental and kind of upcoming festivals Mm -hmm. because the other festivals, like I love Dealey, Adelaide Festival, Sydney Festival, Brisbane Festival, those ones there, whilst they have a wide range of work, sometimes they're a bit less willing to take a risk on these sorts of works. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so as soon as a festival program drops, have a look at it, have a look at, okay, what's engaging? And I mean, in Sydney, Uh, in the months of May and June, you have Vivid as well. Even though there's light installations, there's also some performances happening in that, which are a bit experimental and take you off the path of being within a theatre. What does it mean to exist in a public space? And so I think that just scouring through a festival program and even looking at ones overseas, I mean, have a Google have a look and even though you're not necessarily going there just having a read up about the ideas that are being presented within Mm -hmm. a work and then once you get a bit of an understanding of what that world means start to try to engage in it and I mean I don't really know how to break into it because of I kind of just fell into it (laughs) and (laughs) I fell into this hole and I absolutely love it but I guess seeking out there's the amazing technology we have today where it's pretty easy to find people online and reach Mm -hmm. out and start a conversation and just get an understanding of their processes and how they became a part of something. And then just having a conversation and you might be able to build a network around that. And they might say, oh, like, I know there's this coming up. How about you come and have a look? I think that communication within our network as stage managers and technical teams is so important because most of the time people are willing to help each other and we want to share that knowledge. And so just by asking and getting to know someone and just trying to get an understanding, that's a bridge being built there. And you don't know, it could open so many doors for you and you might discover that it's like everything for you. I think that's so wonderful. So, so wonderful and so important. And our, our industry is, is based on networking. You go to uni, you get a degree. At the end of the day, no one looks at that piece of paper that says, you know, Joshua Brobin got a Bachelor of Dramatic Art. No one cares. What they care about is, A, you know, who I am as a person, how I operate as a stage manager, and just how I present myself and how I communicate and network with other people. And that's the number one sort of thing I find about our industry. And there's there's ways of networking with other stage managers without having to necessarily go through a university degree. Uh, Stage Management Network Australia on Facebook. There's so many different Facebook groups out there that I am a part of that I don't really interact in very often, but every now and then someone will ask a question and I go, oh, I have an answer. And that's, they are so willing and open to having new new members join and ask those same sort of questions. We do want to encourage and and inspire people to to do good. So 
I think that's really, really important. One final question for you today, looking ahead into, you know, your future, your 10-year plan, absolutely hate it, but, <laughs> you know, is there any specific projects or goals that you sort of want to to accomplish within that experimental theatre? Is there somewhere you want to go? Is there something you've seen overseas that you're like, I would love to go and do that event? I have found myself falling more into the festival world and Mm -hmm. I'm at the moment I'm currently kind of stepping away from being directly linked to a show but rather working in the festival context where I look after multiple shows that come from around the world and recently I spent some time with Adelaide Festival where I was at the Adelaide Festival Centre doing a placement there and I was with a production coordinator and I think we had it was something like 12 productions and events come through the festival center during our two and a half weeks of the festival Mm -hmm. being on I think and during that time it was really good seeing those 12 different events and productions because it inspired me and taught me about what are the other things that I can look into and engage with and we had international acts but we also had acts from around Australia so it was also a good opportunity to build that network and I think ultimately I would love to stay on Australian productions Mm -hmm. I see that kind of as a long-term goal but something that I want to be really selective about going into the future is the messages of the work that we're presenting and I think that with art we have such a important place within society and we have a platform where we can present social messages and try to enact social change and I think that that's something that we were doing with Thor which was about global warming and what happens when we put a 2.4 ton block of ice in a crane above Sydney Harbour in a 35 degree day in the middle of summer (laughs) but being selective about what messages I want to present and kind of link that to my identity of who am I as a person? What do I value? What are my beliefs within society? And then being able to share that message on a global platform. So starting in Australia and then going on international touring on a bit of a circuit, go to different festivals, but having those connections with people and talking to them outside of the show. So do the show, but then get involved with the audience, get involved with the teams that are putting this production on like mounting it overseas Mm -hmm. and just having a conversation around the messages that we're presenting because I think that yes it's all well and good to tell a story like a romantic story (laughs) boy meets girl or whatever but something that really excites me is yeah the the changes that we can start to enable just by putting it out there that's so wonderful to hear. And I cannot wait to follow more of that journey of yours because it's it's so fascinating. Thank you so much for coming on today and having a chat. I think it's, it's such a unique side of the industry. I want to say it's relatively new. It's not. It's been there for a very long time. I think it's just now that we're starting to realise the importance of of it and and you know stage managers within it and the role that they play so thank you so much for that 
if people wanted to to reach out to you to ask some questions about the work that you've done or, you know, more specifically about durational, physical, experimental theatre, uh, where can they find you? The best place to hit me up is on Instagram. I have two profiles. One is just my personal profile, which I'm more likely to respond to, <laughs> which is at daniel.story underscore. Or I do have my kind of portfolio page, I guess you call it, which is at Daniel Story Creative which just has some photos of some work that I've been doing there. Uh, so if you actually want to see what I've been working on, that's the best place to go. But if you want to reach out and ask me questions, head over to my personal Instagram. Amazing. I'll pop those down in the show notes for the listeners so that they can find you nice and easy. Daniel, thank you so much for joining. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me, Josh. Well, my friend, that brings us to the end of another episode of Whispers in the Wings. A huge thank you to Daniel for jumping on and having a chat to us about physical theatre, durational performances, you know, all of that experimental theatre. It's such interesting and fascinating parts of our industry that I guess probably a lot of you haven't even thought about. So if you have any questions for Daniel, please make sure you follow him on his social medias and ask because he's more than happy to have a chat with you. And of course, make sure you are also following Whispers in the Wings on all social medias and make sure you're following us here in your preferred podcast app as well. And if you are also enjoying Whispers in the Wings, please do make sure you're leaving ratings and reviews. That brings us to the end of the episode. I'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.